You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunnyside Up. I'm your host, Ajit, and today I'm super excited to talk to Utkarsh Badr. Uh, well, today's topic is journey from being a regional leader to a global leader. Uh, this is going to be a super exciting where Utkarsh will share his viewpoints. Uh, well, a quick intro about him is he's currently a senior vice president and global head of go-to-market strategy with SAP. Uh, he's definitely focusing on driving SAP's overall go-to-market strategy in alignment with uh, SAP's uh, corporate product and technology strategies. He also leads the customer and market perspective in all uh, corporate level mergers and acquisitions, strategic alliances, as well as in the forging of new business and uh, you know commercial models of SAP. Uh, what strikes me out about Utkarsh is he's really passionate about inculcating uh, mindful leadership uh, within the young talents that leads to uh, today's discussion, of course, and he's been very active, you know, involved in uh, teaching and coaching university students and uh, professionals on. Uh, management and leadership topics. So without delay, let's welcome Utkarsh to our show. Hey Utkarsh, how are you doing today? Hey Ajit, thank you for having me. I'm doing very well and good morning to you. Very, very good morning to you. It's I think it's a Singapore early morning for all of us. Fantastic. So uh, just before we dive in Utkarsh, I hope all is fine with your near and dear ones because I know Currently, this part of the world is really going through a tough phase or tough situation. So I, I hope everything goes fine. Your colleagues, your team members all sound fine. No, it's been it's been quite a trying time for us. We have a large presence in India in uh, SAP, uh, both professionally, but also personally. I'm originally from uh, India uh, and we have a lot of family and friends there. But yeah, I can imagine, Ajit, you're based there. So I hope uh, you're fine as well. Uh, hold up and safe from the virus with your family. Absolutely. Just trying to hold the fort right. Uh, well, before we deep dive uh, into today's topic, uh, you know, uh, let's start with Karsh with your journey so far being a leader with SAP for such a long time. So can you just share a few thoughts about your journey? And Yeah, no, thanks. So, you know, I've been with SAP now three years, actually. Um, I mean, from a, from a, I would say, from a technology sense, three years is a long time, actually. Um, and, you know, a lot has evolved since I first joined SAP. SAP has uh, obviously been on the transition to becoming a cloud company in the last 10 years. Um, and for me, you know, in the last three years, the journey has been sort of further accelerated what I've seen actually SAP become. Now, I initially started with SAP as a regional leader plus a global leg. And in the last uh, five months, I've basically taken on a global remit, the one you described earlier in the conversation as well. Um, and then prior to that, I was based out of Singapore, Australia, looking at strategy consulting, uh, focusing on technology clients, venture capital, private equity firms, 
you know, helping them on their deals and the technology space mainly. And, uh, you know, that is why making the transition towards uh, a technology company like SAP was quite interesting because it was sort of crossing over to to the other side to figure out what it would take for our technology company to be successful in today's time. You know, both, you know, within working within the company and making that call, but also from a perspective of having a skin in the game, right? Versus when you're obviously on the outside, uh, you know, you're not necessarily um, as tied in with the right. outcome, right? You do your output and then you walk out, right? You walk away. True. So I think from that perspective, it's been quite a journey from me moving from strategy consulting, which I did for over seven years, and then moving on to, you know, general management sort of strategy or technology. No, this is super fantastic, Utkarsh, no doubt about it. It's a long journey and definitely talks a lot about it. Uh, one quick correction for my audiences. By mistake, I think, Utkarsh, I said uh, enterprise marketing. I think it should be enterprise software, right? So that's a one small correction for everybody out there. Uh, well, uh, Utkarsh, I, I think uh, before we get into the next uh, leg or the next questions, I, I, I remember everybody has seen The Office, you know, uh, and there is this great character of Michael Scott, which is played by Steve Carroll. So pretty interesting leader, uh, to put it lightly, I can say. And he posted he definitely had, you know, admirable qualities from being, uh, you know, to compassion, to loyalty. Uh there was a very interesting quote, which I remember from the show. I think it's episode five, or I'm not so sure. But uh, you miss 100% of the chances you don't take. And I, I think I loved it. So with the relation to the, this particular thing, what would you say are the challenges uh, leaders are facing working in global environment? I think uh, in the last, I would say, 15 months, uh, the challenges which already existed were further sort of exacerbated. Uh, and I would say that, uh, you know, most global companies where global leaders exist uh, need to wrestle with the fact that their business and their organizations are not in one location, right? And I think COVID and this entire crisis has created that situation even more. And how do you make your people feel inclusive, but also drive the right level of creativity and productivity, right? while ensuring that, you know, your diverse, dispersed sort of organization and business, you know, continues to exist the way it does. So I think for me that that's probably the single largest challenge which exists within global leaders today. And as I said, COVID has further exacerbated that problem because, you know, you could further just take a flight in the past and meet people every two months, one month, every two weeks for that matter. Uh, meet your clients, meet your customers, and that doesn't happen anymore. We have to do everything remotely, uh, and it's it's you know not just the productivity elements of brainstorming, being creative, but also the human elements, right? Of developing trust, developing a network, a tribe. Imagine joining a new company and not having met anyone, right? Um, so I think you know we have to sort of get used to this new normal. We have to thrive in this new normal. Um, and I think, uh, you know, this for me is by far the most challenging thing for most leaders. How do you get people along? How do you be more inclusive, right? And and really be more productive at the same time and creative at the same, same time. And then also in that meantime, recognizing that, 
There's a challenge of work-life balance, work-life integration, which is also happening on your employee's end. Um, and sort of also donning that sort of empathetic hat, right? So, so the problem statement is not as simple as how do you continue to be productive and creative? How do you bring everyone along? Right. So I ensure that people have a well-being where, you know, they are being looked after and they have a balanced view and balanced mind as they take things forward. So I think this for me is the single biggest challenge facing most leaders, global leaders today. No, I completely agree with your viewpoint. And I think that's a bigger elephant in the room. So uh, Utkash, then how do you really think or what are your point of view when you say, how would you prepare or somebody should prepare themselves for being a global leader? So I think, uh, you know, I've gone from... uh, a very different role into being a regional leader first and then evolving to now becoming a global leader, right? I think one I would say is that um, there's an advantage of being based in Asia. It's not as probably as, you know, as big in terms of just uh, some of the market sizes which we have, but actually it's it's big in pockets and it's diverse. And I think it, it's truly a microcosm for the rest of the world, if you really imagine, right? So, you know, going from a regional leader of Asia to becoming a global leader, while I think the scale is obviously of a different degree, uh, you know, the diversity and the problem statements, how they differ, the nuances, you actually tend to understand them in that microcosm of Asia quite well, right? While for a Japan, you have a very developed, relatively mature market, which is very industrialized, similar to a Germany. Whereas for a, a greater China or an India, you have different collieries in the West as well who are on the emerging track, right? Similarly, for Southeast Asia, you have a lot of Latin American and you know uh, emerging Middle East, uh, sorry, uh, you know African countries which may be coming in different pockets. So Australia is quite similar to Canada and some of the other North American markets as well, right? So you know, I think uh, there's some advantages of starting from a regional leadership of Asia because you are a microcosm of the world already. Um, but I think the second thing which I would say is that there are obviously scale challenges, right? Because uh, you know there are sort of different degrees of magnitude of why some of these size come, you know, markets are way bigger, and for you to understand that. And you to even embrace that becomes super, super important. Even the cultural dimensions of things become important in terms of how business is conducted in Germany versus how business may be conducted in North America, right? And I think understanding those nuances become actually a very important challenge of going from a regional to global role. So I think, you know, you have some advantages coming from a diverse region like Asia, but you also have a learning curve. Uh, in terms of both the cultural aspects and the scale aspects of becoming a global leader. That's that's a very well point that you made because uh, culturally, diversity and all of those definitely make a lot of change. Either you're doing your sales or your marketing or any go-to-market activities that you might plan for this particular uh, world. I think Asia has been really a challenge in itself. But yeah, I think that's perfect. Uh, then I think the next thing that strikes me out is, you know, uh, how do you really balance this act of local versus global? Because you spoke about the scalability, cultural factors and diversity factors. So what 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 do you think about this? I mean, sometimes, um, you know, the whole idea of strategy is basically about how are we balancing out a few things of uh, it's more like 
how do you take red threads and see trends and being able to draw elements across different types of segments, but at the same time, take the nuances and the, the sort of the customized view you may need for the different segments, right? So, you know, I think it's not about, as you rightly said, it's not about choosing global versus local. It's about balancing them, right? And, and being able to recognize those red threads, which, which may exist, but at the same time, recognize the nuances because they do exist as well. And you're not going to be able to, you know, brush everything in broad strokes. Um, and I think the key over here is, which is why I said COVID is such a challenge, is spending time with people, is understanding things from different perspectives. Uh, and and there's no there's no sort of replacement for that, I'll be honest with you. You can have the most diverse experience, which is good because you'll appreciate about getting people's perspective, but you'll never be able to know everything on yourself, right? You need to be able to sort of get different perspectives to get those nuances, right? Versus you yourself then may be able to, with the right skill set, draw those red threads, see what the global view looks like and some of those things. So I would say, you know, spending time with people, building a network, very, very critical for you to balance this global versus local sort of uh, question you have. If I just want to deep dive a little bit and have a little pop-up question. So how much or how to adapt to this cultural changes? Because you already highlighted this before, I know. Uh, but just speaking, coming from, say, you've been in Singapore and then you're trying to do something right in EMEA or which is the, where there is GDPR or something, so many aspects of things to come in play, basically. So how do, how do you think about it? I mean, there are things which are facts, which are around, you know, regulations, business practices, you know, market dynamics, which, of course, you know, you need to spend time understanding, right? Um, there's no question about that. But then your, your point earlier was also on the cultural aspects and some of those elements. Um, and as I said, I think the key over here, which I don't think changes across different geographies, is the fact that uh, people at the end of the day, you know, are driven by similar things, you know. And you need to just understand what's what's the basic driver and motivation of people, right, in terms of whatever they may be doing. Now, of course, how they go about achieving those motivations might be different. This is where I think understanding cultural nuance and local nuance becomes extremely important, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think, uh, as I say, I spend a lot of time with my teams, which exist in different geographies. Um, you know, sometimes it's very unscripted. Sometimes it's just about speaking to them, getting to know how they look at life and their motivations. For me to understand cultures I've not understood. The fortunate thing of being in a place like Singapore or Asia has been we've got a melting point of pot of expats of different cultures all sitting right here right. in a native place. So it's not that I'm completely cold having not worked with uh, people of cultures of different uh, European, Latin American, North American in the past, right? Most of my colleagues are coming from many of those places as well. So I think uh, it's not that you're walking in cold, uh, but definitely I think, uh, you know, spending unscripted periods of time with them, speaking to them is very, very critical uh, to just understand their motivations before, you know, you go into trying to work very closely with them and trying to get them to work with you and stuff. 
Fantastic. I think that summarizes it really well. Uh, Let's get on to the next one. So, uh, you know, uh, what I believe some firms, you know, they've been trying to fulfill the requirements of, uh, you, uh, they say it as one size fits all list of, uh, you know, global leadership competences. So uh, have they embraced or is that opposite extreme of localization? So it's two contracts, thought, uh, contracting uh, thoughts. What, what do you think about it? So Ajit, I think uh, honestly, you know, when you look at leadership, it's not a forget by culture, right? Even by mm-hmm. trade, okay. it is not a one size fits all. I mean, in my experience, I've come across great leaders who've had very different spikes, if I may call it. I mean, you could argue that you know there are three to four dozen sort of traits, right, which exist, you know, which you can characterize any human personality under, right? Everyone's not going to have a spike on each of those. Right? And most great leaders have a spike on three, okay, at max four, right, of them, like real spike, right, where they're like way above, uh, way above the others, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, all of us who are aspiring to be good leaders as well need to be able to recognize what are those spikes we need to continue to work on, right? It's all about building on your strengths. Um, and you'll realize that, you know, there'll be leaders who have, say, strength in being extremely calm in difficult situations. But then there are other leaders who are much more inspiring and able to drive things. And and there's no one-size-fits-all leader, right? So forget about geography or no geography, even from trait, right? And it's really about how you embrace what your strengths are and how you work on them, build on them. And, of course, not let your strengths become your shortcomings. Because, you know, what most people don't realize is that, um, you know, sometimes, yes, you're not able to become a great from good to great leader or a good leader when you've not been able to necessarily have the self-awareness on your strengths and work on them. But then sometimes it's also that you've sort of pivoted too much towards your strength and it's kind of uncontrollable strength where it becomes to a point of being harmful to an organization, to yourself, to the people, right? So I think it's really important for that sort of centeredness to sort of make sure that your your strengths and your spikes are not unbounded, right? Anything in without control or excess is never a good thing, right? Even if it's a spike. So I think working on that aspect of it is more important than saying, oh, you know, I'm not as assertive, I'm not as great on stage, so I won't be a person who's going to be a good leader. No, absolutely not. You don't need to be. I mean, we can name different leaders in technology itself, uh, you know, who have very different personalities and very different leadership traits. And in all in their different ways, they will be called as good leaders. Yeah. Got it. Well, I think the next thing which I would love to know, Utkarsh, uh, maybe from a personal, you've been on a journey of this being a leader or you're already now moving to the next stage of leadership, basically. So, how would you think go to market for an organization with so many people and so many different types of clients and different activities happening? Uh, also, how do you, I think there's one more pop-up question I might have is how do you really wrap your mind around that size and scale basically? So, you know, I think let's get a bit of context of the industry, which I play in, right? It's um, it's an industry, which is enterprise software, but essentially it's, now a cloud 
business, right? It's a cloud market. And in the cloud market, it becomes extremely hard to distinguish between what is product and what is go-to-market, okay? In fact, the lines are blurring much more so than ever, right? It's, you know, when I look at anything around go-to-market, for me to have that view without sort of looking at the product aspects of things, uh, I would not be doing favors to the uh, to to you know to basically my job if I if I didn't look at it end to end right so so the first point is that go to market on its own does not exist in the same same old world that hey just throw me the product and I'll now figure out how do I go and sell it no in a cloud world it needs to go end to end because it truly represents the customer journey right from the product they buy and the product then they basically um, you know, or, or the product we develop, we kind of create the demand, we get them to buy first, we get them to adopt, we get them to consume, you know, then they have feedback, you know, then they, you know, they sort of expand their relationship with us, they renew, and then there are things around the product which kind of goes in a circle again, right? So, you know, that aspect of things, it just shows that these two worlds have to come together, which means that many companies which have existed in the old world of go-to-market have to transform that thinking. Because unless they do that, um, you know, you're not going to be successful in the cloud world, right? So that's been a big part of our transformation within SAP itself, right? Uh, it's not just about buying cloud companies and then selling them separately, right? It's about transforming yourself to truly represent this end-to-end customer lifecycle, which goes across product and go-to-market, yeah? Now, you talked right. about size and scale. Uh, let me address that in this way, right? At the end of the day, uh, the the way you scale go to market in the cloud world is actually quite different because in that the scalability happens when there is pull finally, right? Pull of the product, pull of the renewals, pull of the fact that the customer wants to do more with you, right? Not only about push, which I would argue in the old world technology, there was a lot around push, Right. So, you know, scalability truly comes when there is pull. And, you know, that's how a cloud company truly scales in the market. I'm not saying that salespeople don't have to do push at all. But, you know, as I said, it comes back to the earlier point uh, on product and go to market, which means you need products which can generate the pull. You need go to market sales guys, post sales guys who are able to drive value selling you know, consumption and all of those aspects to actually generate further pull for the product, right? Uh, Because you're selling, you know, outcomes and you're not necessarily selling software, yeah? So so that's why, uh, that's how I'd kind of answer your question. Super insightful, I would say, and uh, loved this whole conversation about what you just said uh, about the leadership and stuff. Maybe one uh, last thing that comes to my mind is, do you, do you follow any kind of a framework that you would like to share or any anything that you as a uh, being as an individual that made you so successful about this whole thing? So I think, I mean, it's a very simplified principle to life. Um, I think it applies uh, to almost anyone. It's not only to me. Um, I fundamentally believe that both happiness and success have the same formula, Right. Uh, and if you if you see a formula, I, I'm, I used to be an engineer, so everything is uh, you know a little bit quantitative, mathematically at least. If you see the formula, it is 
you know, what you achieve upon what you expect, right, to achieve, right? And I'm not saying you should lower the denominator, right? Because that's not that's not the that's not a very growth mindset because again, you may not necessarily achieve success there, right? Similarly, uh, you also have, you know, what I would call a, in the variables of the numerator and denominator, you may not have it constant throughout, right? It may vary over time, right? And you may have to level your expectations and stuff as you move along. Because at the end of the day, uh, if you recognize that happiness and success come out of the same sort of formula, you start balancing out that equation better, right? Uh, versus if you just assume that success is the only thing which comes out of that. So for example, you know, I will be happy if I'm able to sort of achieve uh, what I have set out, say, for example, even in my personal life, right? And, um, and then if I'm able to get that, no problem. But at the same time, it also means that if I need to level that denominator and say lower the expectation as things move along, I should be flexible to that variable changing as well, right? Um, and sometimes you need to make compromises, you know, on your professional and personal front as well. Very true. So I think, you know, for me, uh, that's what's probably kept me balanced, I would say, in the last few years, because uh, there are going to be things, many things out of your control. There are many things which may not necessarily be totally your doing in terms of whether you're being successful or not, or you may not think you're being successful. But the idea over here is you need to realize what's in your control, what's in your influence, and then figure out that formula as you go along, right? That, okay, what is my expectation given where I'm going? Can I adjust the denominator then, right? And be flexible to adjust that denominator as you go along. Uh, even as you try to make sure that you achieve the best numerator, whatever your denominator may be, right? In India, we have a saying that, you know, you do your actions and don't worry about the outcome, right? Because that will come and do your actions, do it in terms of uh, enjoying your job, enjoying whatever you do, being in the moment, but not necessarily worrying about are you going to get the achievement exactly what you expected, right? And again, it's easier said than done, which is why I have this formula, which is why then you kind of say, okay, you cannot totally become, you know, uh, completely a nirvana state person and have that view. <laughs> right. But at least then, you know, I kind of adjust my expectation and then, you know, say that, okay, given the circumstances, this is what I expect now. I'm, I'm going to relevel that and I'm going to make sure now that I'm going to achieve the best possible given those, you know, circumstances. Right? So oh, I think for I me, this that. has really worked. Right. I think this is superb because uh, two takeaways for me, which I definitely can say this, uh, what you think is what you achieve. Definitely. That's a great one. Uh, and I, as you rightly said, I think balance it out. I think that's really more important, uh, whether on your personal or professional front. And I think that that's one of the important qualities, which I think a leader should have. And that leads to that particular activity. So fantastic. So this is super great conversation Utkarsh, I've been having with you and, uh, it's been a Monday morning. You've been giving, you had this session with us. Thank you so much for this particular thing. I, I really enjoyed and I'm sure, I'm sure the audience who's listening out would have definitely fun about it. Uh, well, uh, I have two of my favorite questions, which I love to ask also on the show is, is there anything new that you have picked up uh, uh, maybe 
say, call it from a hobby perspective or anything that you would like to share with our audience. And uh, yeah, and second could be any read or any book or any website that you recently you just liked it and you would like to share with my audiences. No, thanks. Uh, let me address the first question. <laughs> yeah. When, you, when you're asking me the first question, right? So just playing that back, what exactly are you going for? So I can, I can probably frame it that way. So, uh, see, I think we, we were all going through this whole lockdown phenomena and then people have picked up many new things or maybe things they wanted ah, to okay, do. Okay, so, you know, hobby or a practice. Okay, hobby okay. or a practice yeah. or you started doing I something mean, like... It's not, only, it's not only lockdown, right? So I think five years ago or so, mm-hmm. I developed, uh, you know, I really embraced mindfulness and ah. um, yeah. practice meditation Wow. quite regularly. It's in fact been harder to do during lockdown because of this whole work-life integration aspect of things. Right. Uh, because it's sometimes hard to draw a line when, you know, when you're in a global role, what is the time when you break, right? Yeah. And I think, I'm, you know, everything in life is a journey in terms of developing, right? So for me, uh, you know, developing that mindfulness, meditation, and I did something called Vipassana five years ago, which was mm-hmm. life-changing for me. Uh, personally, it changed the way I approached my life. I approached... Uh, my job, my personal life, my aspirations, um, and even my day-to-day sort of routine, right? Um, I realized that, uh, you know, it's not about just giving the hours, but it's about recharging, about cleansing your brain. I also began to appreciate how, uh, you know, in a way, your mind and your being are two different people, right? And you controlling your mind is actually critical for you to be successful. So I think there were a lot of things which mindfulness and meditation brought me in the last few years. Again, everything is a journey because even so is mindfulness and meditation because you don't necessarily you know, do something and you've achieved it. It's a lifelong thing you need to go through. And as you go through different aspects of your life, uh, you need to somehow make sure that this is still a very core part of your life Otherwise, it's very easy to kind of slip down again, right? So I think that's been one big practice which uh, which I've tried to keep in the last five years, but more so even the last year. Last few months have been harder moving into a global <laughs> yeah. because it's hard to drive, drive the line because uh, you don't have time which is completely set out for yourself. And when you go into a role like this, so I think for me, that in itself is a learning that I need to be able to do that. Right? I need to gain a bit more control about what is my time and what is my what is me time, right? So that was, I hope it addresses your question number one. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was so wonderful to hear from you about this whole thing. Uh, I think it's important and it has to be the part of life somewhere in wherein you need to start looking things from a perspective of being, you know, mindful. Uh, so definitely it's a great tip. Uh, and I think there's a lot to talk about. I think that could be one more session where we could just talk about this whole aspect with Kush with you. It would be really interesting to have some insights coming from this part, uh, you know, apart from just what we spoke. Uh, well, this is superb. Uh, and uh, any book or anything that you're reading recently? or yeah, so, I mean... <clears throat> I've been an avid reader in the past. I would say wow. that's one practice which um, I think the last few months has kind of washed away a little bit, which I'm not very happy about. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, you know, I would love to go on flights and, you know, on my travels, even work 
and have a book around me and you know just completely divert my mind and focus on something else right absolutely uh, unfortunately you know being at home and you know doing all of those things you really need to be much more disciplined about it but i think in the last i would say couple of years if i have had to kind of reflect on a book which which truly moved me and uh, you know uh, which was you know which was something which i felt you know changed me as a as a person as a leader and you know i can just give me a second i'm just going to give sure. you the exact name of the author you know and stuff right uh, but the idea here was that fundamentally and i'll give you a bit about the book and then we can talk about uh, you know where you can get it right um this one was really talking about how have other you know leaders in the past right uh gone about embracing mindfulness and in this case it was gautam buddh right who you know and talking about his story about how he went through his kind of aspect around embracing mindfulness and again you know the life then was very simple right when you when you talked about uh, you know 2000 years ago but you know and you when you see his stories they were so simple right they were simple to the point where um it it almost felt like wow how can such a simple leading person you know have uh, such enlightenment that we still speak of till today right um and i think that was the creep part right it it told you that you don't need to necessarily you don't need to necessarily become like a full on you know i would say um as we say in india like a hermit to actually achieve some of these things you know you can do that very well in your own working life and all of those things right there's so many practices there so it is by a gentleman by the name of uh, you know uh, you know titch nat han right he's a vietnamese french uh, priest or you know buddhist monk okay uh, out of uh, i think france and uh, he was and uh, he still is and the book's name was old path white clouds fantastic i think this is this is super interesting read and i we give it a big call out for this particular book uh well again i think utkarsh it was definitely great chatting up with you as always and always you know inspirational where you talk about this whole aspects of leadership to the other aspects of mindfulness so there is always you know varied topics that you can come and then we could have little insightful discussions around that uh well thank you so much once again to be on the show so uh, utkarsh i think this was super fun uh, super exciting and uh, you know as always i love chatting with you there's always a lot to take from you and uh, you know i'm sure you're reachable on linkedin do you know please give a quick call out if people need some leadership tips or any other aspects like the mindful tips so i think linkedin could be the best way to reach out yeah yeah absolutely uh, my 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 linkedin profile is public you can always reach out to me message me and uh, i'm i'm sort of responsive yeah to, uh, at are. least a couple of days they will so yeah just feel free to do that yeah i know you're super active because uh, my experience definitely goes really well with you so thank you again uh, thank you for being on the show i hope you enjoyed the experience uh, also to the people who are listening out there please take care of yourself you know uh, i know we all are going through tough times so please take care of your near and dear ones stay close to the people you love uh, and keep listening to our next show and the next podcast that we will be shortly coming up with some exciting uh, ones thank you so much again thank you utkarsh for being with us Thanks Ashish
Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.